Okay, welcome, welcome, guys and gals, gals and guys, welcome to my channel. So this is going to be my very first podcast, and this is my very first episode. So I want it to be a little bit of everything, just a little cornucopia going on here. Um, I want to talk about what I want for the channel, what my hopes are for the podcast. I also want to talk about um, the present, the current situation, how I got to where I am. There's a lot of things that I want to encompass on this first episode before we really go down this journey together. Um, my channel is focused on CPTSD. So it's PTSD, but it's brought about by not a single incident, not like when you're a soldier or you have one traumatic event happen to you, one near-death experience, something of that nature, and then you get PTSD, some one violent event. Um, mine is what's known as a chronic or reoccurring with the C, um, and it means basically that I have exposed myself to trauma repeatedly over and over and over again, um, very similar trauma over time, and then because of that, I have now developed what I would call triggers, um, where I have poor coping skills, and what a trigger looks like to me, like a perfect example would be I was at work and this guy who didn't know me, we were joking around, we were talking about getting a bunch of orders. I said, oh, I don't want to get hit. I turned around, he had his fist up. He said, oh, I'll hit you. And what happened next was I froze. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't talk. I would just cry. So what a trigger is for me is whenever an incident comes about that is related to my past, um, a gun. If I see a gun, my soon-to-be ex-husband has a handgun that he would leave around the house. And if I would see it, I can't breathe. I can't touch it. Um, once again, something that's related to traumatic incidents in my past that would bring me to what I call a trigger moment where... I can no longer function properly. Um, I can't respond properly. I cry. I can't talk. Uh, I can't speak. And if I can speak, usually I repeat the same phrase over and over again. Um, usually it's like safe, safe, I'm safe, safe, I'm safe, safe. Um, and what that does to me internally is it brings me to a really, really dark place and a side effect of me having gone on these trigger trips so many times and packing my bags to this fucking hell of a place over and over again um, is me attempting suicide. And that is what that is what I am currently dealing with. And that is what brought me to my present situation is a recent suicide attempt. So my son is the one that said I should probably start a podcast. Um, for me, what it's what it's going to be is I want to help others. I've always been that person that wants to reach back and lift others up. I've always been a teacher, an educator, a trainer, a mother. Um, I've always been the person to build others up. That's how I find self-worth is building up others. It's also kind of my religion right now. Uh, all I have is love, and I just kind of throw it around to anybody that will take it, anybody that will accept it. Um, all I have is real, raw honesty and, and love to give around because I've made a lot of, you know, bad decisions in my past. I've made a lot of bad choices. We're going to 
unpack those choices. We're going to talk about my trauma because I'm just now realizing that um, the only way for me to get over this CPTSD, it's not going to be drugs. It's not going to be a therapist because I haven't been able to find one. And believe me, I've looked. Um, I just don't trust them because, once again, trauma from therapists in the past. I've had a lot of them ever since childhood. Um, so it's hard for me to go to therapy. But I hope with me having the courage to own up to my mistakes, to um, teach you guys the tools that I am learning to recognize the patterns in my life and to understand where I'm coming from and to get better tools in the toolbox, so to speak, um, to be able to cope with things as they come up. I'm hoping I can teach those tools to you guys. That's what I do for a living is teach others how to do things. And that's really all I have, like I said, is just love to pass around. So I'm just hoping that by being courageous enough to share my story, I can kind of, you know, do a, a little quid pro quo. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I get some therapy. I get to unpack some things. I get to process. I get to work through instead of running from, which is all I've ever done. And hopefully some people find solace and peace and comfort and maybe some knowledge and I just want to help. I just want to help others, honestly. But we'll get more into that um, further down the line when I talk about uh, my goals for unpackaging this trauma. But this episode, like I said, is really going to be an intro. So things that I've tried in order to cope with my CPTSD. Um, I've tried cheating. I've tried weed. I can't drink. I can't use alcohol. I'm allergic to it. Um I've tried having so many things on my plate, like school full time, kids full time, being pregnant, going to work full time, all at the same time. I've lived, that's been my life since I can remember. I've always had a massively full plate. So hopefully I don't have to look at the cracks underneath it, that, you know, that foundation. Um, that doesn't work. Yeah. So my latest journey is I wanted to try microdosing shrooms because I've done a ton of research. And with microdosing, you don't trip like you take a dosage only every three days. That does not cause any kind of trip whatsoever. And it's just supposed to help. I'm really trying to get off of pharmaceuticals, trying to get off of all pills and hormone supplements, things of that nature. I really want to take control of my body and be off of all big pharma. I don't like the way that big pharma makes me feel. I love who I am off of these things, not numb, you know, when I can see clearly and I feel the need to create because I love to create. Obviously, I've had five children. I love to create and bring things into this world. I'm a programmer. So for me, creating, I'm a songwriter, I'm a singer. It's just, it's just an act of nature. So other things that I've looked into. I can't do the shrooms right now because it's still illegal where I live. So that's not going to happen, but it is something that I'm researching. Um, other things I've looked into rapid eye movement, the new RSME or something like that, where you unpack your trauma and you're supposed to like move your eyes rapidly while you do it. And that desensitizes you to the situations. Um, hypnosis. Uh, these are all things that I've looked into or tried and I'm finding that they're not working, but what's working now is me taking back my life, taking back my power and living true to who I am and working through some things. So let's talk about that. How did I get to where I am right now where basically 
I realized the only way out is through. There's no more skirting around or covering up or trying to forget or anything of that nature. Um, so I've recently separated from my husband. He was my third husband. We'll get into all of that later, but I'm just telling you this for the sake of you understanding the story. Um, he was my third husband. He picked me up and was definitely a rebound from a very, very traumatic relationship where I left after a loaded gun was taken to me and it was all kinds of, of bad, right? All kinds of gasoline on the fire. Like he's going to kill me, then kill himself, kill the kids type of situation. Like it's just bad. We can't be together. Um, and it was really, really hard for me to accept that I was a victim, to accept that I had been abused mentally, physically, um, to accept that I had allowed myself to be that weak of an individual. So instead of facing the truth, I ran and I dove headfirst into a man, right? Because that's my MO is I feel, I want to feel anything other than this horrible feeling inside, like I can't turn to alcohol, I can't turn to drugs, you know, I have to be a responsible mother, I can't, you know, go drown myself in, in other sorrows. So let me drown myself in a man, let me make you better, let me make you feel good. And then in turn, I can forget about who I am. So that was very much so the relationship that I had with him. And then I married him very shortly after this, after the other divorce was final. And it became, well, this is my third husband. This is do or die. Okay, this is my ride or die. No matter what, I don't care what happens. No matter what, I'm going to make this work. And I was Gumby. And I was Gumby all day long, left and right. My needs no longer mattered. And we made it to seven years because I was Gumby. But the biggest problem was that he is a an addict. He is an addict and has been and was way before my time and we had where he slipped up and we even separated because he went back to drugs. And there's a problem with when you get with an addict, they don't like confrontation. Anytime that you say anything to them, it doesn't matter what it is. It can be, in my case, like the situation, I'm, the story I'm about to tell you, it can be, hey, I miss you. I love you. I want you to hold me. But they feel like they're being attacked. They only see that you're bringing what they're not doing, their shortcomings. And what do addicts do? What do narcissistic people do when the truth is in their face and they don't want to see it? What do hurt people do of this nature? They flip it around. So what my soon-to-be ex would do was he knew that I had these triggers. He knew that I had this PTSD. So I didn't see it at the time. I see it now. What he would do is he would get all red, he would puff up his chest, start breathing really heavy, you know, he'd get angry, raise his voice, because he knew what would happen was I would result in being a puddle on the floor, unable to fight, and the argument would end, right? He would never have to own up to any kind of, any kind of accountability or anything of that nature. It probably doesn't help that he still drinks heavily, every, every night would drink a lot of beer, only beer, but... It plays into the story. You'll, you'll hear why. So because I was constantly bending and everything, like I, it didn't matter. If he would say anything, I would let him back in. It didn't matter how many times he brought me down to this puddle. It didn't matter how many suicide attempts I had. It didn't matter how many times I had to text the suicide hotline. It didn't matter how many notes I wrote him. It didn't matter how many times I told him over the course of seven years. Like when I was packing his shit up, 
I reached for just the notebooks that were in my vicinity, just the ones in my bedroom, and just skimmed through them and just started ripping out the notes that I had wrote him over the years of me trying to communicate to him, trying to tell him, look, you're you're killing me. You keep taking me to this place where I feel unlovable, unwanted to my core, and then you leave me. And what am I going to do when I'm that that dead, that down, that I turn to my demons? Okay, because I feel like if I just didn't wake up tomorrow, at least I wouldn't have the stress of it anymore. The weight of it would be gone. Right. And maybe maybe everybody else could continue on. And because I feel so unlovable anyway, that is where I would go with it. And the reason I would go there is because of my childhood is because of my trauma. Right. But but my husband could take me there, could take me right back to that core. And I tried explaining it to him in every way I knew possible. So let's talk about the suicide attempt, the most recent. So I tried to I've been institutionalized for trying to kill myself before back in 2009, I believe. And I was so proud of how long, you know, the amount of time it had been since I had done that. Um, my circumstances and that were different. I was, I, it was guilt for me going through my first divorce. I, I cheated on him. Um, I didn't handle things properly. Uh, I was afraid my children were going to hate me. Getting the divorce was a really big thing. So that was a different circumstance where it was all guilt. Um, but that was the last time that I had been institutionalized before this year. So the night everything happened was actually my daughter's uh, prom and she's a sophomore and got invited by upperclassmen. And so it wasn't like this massive deal or anything. She was just going to meet them there. They weren't going out to eat or anything. And I was so excited to see my husband. I wanted to spend time with him. It was the weekend. I hadn't seen him. I asked him to come in the kitchen and make lunch with me. And he wanted to play a video game. So he came in the kitchen and he was like, what do you need help with? A little bit of attitude, right? And I said, I don't actually need help with anything. I was just hoping that we could make food together and spend time together because I miss you, you know? And he started getting upset and he's like, oh, so what you're saying is that I don't spend time with you? And instantly started picking a fight. And instantly he starts going at it, right? Getting irritated with everything that I'm saying, finding fault in everything that I'm saying. And I'm just sitting here like, with my hands up, like, I just want you to hold me. I just want to see you. That's all I'm saying. I just, I just want to desperately see you. And he just keeps going and going and going. And he's like, oh, I guess that's your perspective. I guess that's your prerogative is that I don't pay attention to you. And I said, okay, isn't that what life is? Like, isn't that literally what your life is, is what your perspective is? And yes, I'm standing here. My perspective is I need you to pay more attention to me, hold me, want to be with me. And he causes another massive fight and leaves, walks out. Okay. I ended up taking an entire bottle of pills. These pills were an anti-seizure medication. I started to feel my skin crawling. I freaked out and I started screaming for him. He was downstairs. I was upstairs. I started screaming his name. Come help me. Come help me. I said, I took a bunch of pills. CZ 50, CZ 50, CZ 50, CZ 50, CZ 50. I was telling him what the imprint was on the pills. I was like, help me, help me, help me. And I grabbed his finger. I tried to stick it down my throat. He he ripped his hand out. I I took my finger. I, I stuck it down my throat. I'm trying to make myself vomit. 
then I lose time. I come to, the cops are in my room, and they are not being friendly, okay? They are, they are not, everything feels very confrontational, and one of the officers is in my face, and he's like, I know you've been drinking, why are you acting this way? And I remember saying, sir, I can't, we can do a breathalyzer, I can't drink, I can't drink alcohol. Boom, I don't remember what happens next. Next thing I remember, I'm in the ambulance. There's this ambulance driver. He's got a gap in his teeth, and he smells like cigarettes, like really smells like cigarettes, hardcore, and I feel like I'm not in reality. I feel like everything is a movie. Like, I see my parents' vehicle, and I feel like I'm in a movie. Like, this is some simulation, right? And he's asking me questions, and boom, boom. Next thing I remember, I'm in a hospital bed. My dad is sitting there. We're talking about something about, he keep asking me questions, like about where I am and my name. Boom, don't remember what happens next, okay? Now I'm in, I'm up at an institution. I remember I'm in an institution. I remember that the there's a nurse practitioner. She's asking me, asking me questions and I can't breathe and there's something there's something on my chest like I can't like I'm freaking out and then I hear her say okay let's get an Ativax get her an Ativax and then next thing I know I have a pill boom I wake up Monday morning and I don't know how to convey how humbling it is to wake up sober day one in an institution knowing you tried to kill yourself when you had such a long stretch, right? Like 11, 12 years, 13 years, and it's day one. That feeling I don't know how to convey how that feels but it's um very sobering very humbling feeling so uh I made a, a bunch of friends up there I came out of my room and I sat in the lobby and I didn't leave and for the next two days and Visiting hours were only for an hour and a half in the evening. Uh, my husband would not come see me. Like, he had excuse after excuse after excuse. He kept using the kids as an excuse. Um, the kids are 17 and, and can watch the other kids. Like, we have built-in babysitters. He had excuse after excuse. And then, and then finally he's like, oh, I'm gonna see you. I have song lyrics for you. I'm gonna see you. Like, he doesn't know how it feels to sit there and watch those hours tick down. And you just want to go home and you just want your bed because you're sleeping on this like rubber mattress that's inside like a cardboard box and you don't have your clothes. You don't have a shower or a bathroom or your own bed or a phone. You don't have any kind of comfort. So the thought of just being comforted, you know, by your husband, like, I kept telling him, it was just like, I love you, I miss you, just please come, 
see me and then he'd have an excuse and I'd be like, okay, okay, you know, because my, my motto right now, I'm getting it tattooed, is, is let them, right? Have you, have you guys seen that movement on Facebook? If you haven't, have not seen that movement, if you have not seen that poem, please look it up. It's really beautiful. Uh, the first half of it is about letting people show you who they are, accepting what they show you. And the second half of it is letting, you know, people love you. Like if people want to make you their world, let them, you know, just basically let people be who they are all about seeing the signs and the patterns in your life and learning from your past. And that is definitely my motto right now. So new tattoo on Friday says your sins will seek them out semicolon because of the suicide attempt. Let them underneath it. I'm super pumped. Anyway, let's get back to the story. So he never came up. And then finally, even though he said he was going to come up on Tuesday, he didn't and told me that it was because the doctor had told him that I was going to get out the night before. So he decided it wasn't worth the gas money or the drive to come see me. So, um, so anyway, I get out, right. And, and I pick him to come pick me up. I choose him. The doctor tells me when I get to get out, he's like, do you want your parents to come get you or do you want your husband? I choose him because I want to see him. Okay, and he comes to pick me up and he has nothing for me, not a hug, not a smile, not a freaking drink, not a rebel, not my this, this man does not know me. Right. And then we get in, in the vehicle and I tell him, I was like, look, I just I think we need to talk about you know, why I got up there, because in my mind, I feel like I did this because of him. Like, I know it's at my own hand, but he did not pick me up. And I have begged him and gave him the tools repeatedly. Like, he's toxic for me. So now we're in the vehicle, and I tell him this, and he gets instant anger, right? Remember that addict? I don't see it at the time. Instant anger, okay? Instant. Puff up his chest, screaming, I should have fucking left you there whoa, what? Like, I chose you. I am not under your control. I am not a dog that you can just shut the cage door on. So that goes on for a minute, right? And then I'm like, you know what, just I'm gonna go to mom's. I call my mom because I want the fight to end. I know what he's doing and I can't handle it. I'm talking very calm. I don't want him to trigger me. Do not let him trigger me. So I call my mother. So she's on the phone. I'm keeping a calm voice. We, we talk about how I'm going to come home, get my stuff and go stay with her. OK. And as soon as I get off the phone with her, he's like, yeah, you get your stuff. And you, when you get home, you see those babies. You're never going to see them again because we both know you're mentally unstable and you're going to harm them. He freaking has brought in CPS and said that I'm going to hurt my children. I've never like, who are you? Anyway, I'm jumping ahead, okay? At this point in time, he talks about how I'm mentally unstable and how I can't be around the kids, right? Like, he knows that's going to tick me off. And he also knows that I would never, ever, ever do that to him because that is why I am the way I am. The divorce in the past that my parents put me through, the fighting, I will never do that to my children. I've been divorced three times, and it was never that way, I don't talk bad about my fathers of my children. I don't doubt them. I don't. I try to do right anyway. I try unless they force my hand, but I try. Okay. 
So here I am, right? We're, we're playing a game of, of kick the can and the can is Tiffany. And I'm so, I, all I can think is like, if it, if it would have been like a car accident, they would scoop me up in love and they would see it as a cry for help. But because it's at my own goddamn hand, they're, what? What? Does that mean it don't matter? But guess what I am? I'm fucking Gumby, right? I'm Gumby, okay? So I bend and I say, okay, I'm sorry. You're right. Obviously, you know, I, I've been through a real traumatic experience and I just, I just want to get home and we'll work through this, okay? But he can't give me a good reason why he didn't come see me. He can't give me a good reason why he keeps doing this to me. Because he said a lot of stuff in our marriage, but for the first time in my life, I finally have some actions of his that I can fall behind or fall on. And, and they're not good. They're not fucking good. OK, like I just. So anyway. A couple days pass. And I'm like, look, we got to have a conversation. OK, I, I can't move past what you did. Like, you can say whatever you want to say. Tell me why you did this. Why did you not show up for me? Why did you threaten me? Why do you continue to kick me when I'm down? And he can't give me a good reason, right? It's me attacking him again. He took me yelling and he didn't get angry and I appreciated that, but he could not give me any solid reason. So finally I was like, it was because you're drinking, wasn't it? And he's like, yeah, I drink every night. So, so yeah. Actions. Actions have consequences. So now I'm going through a divorce and now I'm taking my power back. And now I'm going through this whole foundation upheaval and I'm empowered. I've started my own LLC. I'm starting a podcast. Like I know things are going to be okay. And I know that I will never try to kill myself again because I am going to love me. And I feel ladies, gentlemen going through this CPTSD that maybe that's what we need. Okay. Like we have to, we have to list out the patterns in our life. We have to unpack that trauma. We have to make sense of things, make things logical and be able to move on. We have to look at who we were in those moments of time and be able to say, look, I'm not a bad person. I had a momentary lapse in judgment. I made the best decision I could with the tools that I had in my toolkit, in my toolbox at that time. Was it the right decision? No. What can I do now? See it. Wake up. Recognize it. Move on. You are not going to get through this unless you go straight through. You can't skirt around. You've got to work through your trauma. Okay? So now you've heard my suicide attempt story. You've heard why I'm here. You've heard my goals for the channel. I hope that, you know, I've at least said some things that can help. I know that when I went back up to the institution, I had a young lady that told me, she said, I'm going to have a happy life. And I think it's because of some of the things you said, Tiffany. And let me tell you what it was that I said to her the day before the day I left, 20 minutes before I got out. I looked at everybody around that table and I said to them, I am fucking proud of you. 
I don't care if you're here at your own free will or if you're here because somebody made you. I am proud of you because everybody else out there on fake book in the fake world with their fake social media pretending to be okay, they're all just as messed up as we are. I am a very honest person. I have worked in many, many, many industries, and I always speak the truth, and I always speak it raw. And what happens when you do that is other people speak it raw back to you. There's not a single person on this damn planet that hasn't been through something. There's not a single person that hasn't been touched, know somebody that's been touched, that's been abused, that's been, you know, beat up mentally, physically, emotionally, had their parents walk all over them, lost family members, gone through struggles. Everybody on this entire planet has seen some stuff. And we can only look at life through the filter of what we know and what we've seen. That's why it's so important for us to start unpacking the trauma behind us so that we can see clearer. Because right now we can only see with what these fogged up glasses in front of us are going to show us. And these fogged up glasses are showing us a lie. Your brain will believe everything that you tell it. Okay, that's another thing. I When I woke up that morning, how humbling it was to have fucking 13 years of, of self-love, of of mantra, of, of, of manifestation, of, of empowerment, of positive vibes, of workbooks, of therapy, of just down the goddamn drain. In a second, you know what, you know what I'm trying to say? Like Rome, Rome wasn't built in a day, but it, but it fucking burned down in one. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the same as the people that are sitting there on death row or in prison that made one mistake that in that that split decision, that one second decided to pull a trigger, decided in a moment of rage to act in on a feeling that they had. And now for the rest of their life, they will be paying for it. We need to wake up. The only way out is through.